Good morning. I get to read you a fairy tale, and it is the story of the ugly duckling. The country was lovely just then, and it was summer. In a sunny spot stood an old mansion surrounded by a deep lake. Large green leaves grew from the walls of the house down to the water's edge. In among the leaves, there a duck was sitting on her nest. She was tired of sitting, for it had been such a long time. But at last her ducklings were about to be hatched. One egg after another began to crack. All the chicks were poking their heads out. Cheep, cheep, they said. How big the world is. I suppose you are all here now, said their mother, looking about. No, that big egg is still uncracked. Sighing, she settled herself on the nest again. At last, the big egg cracked, and the young one came tumbling out. The mother duck stared at him. What a strange big duckling, she said. None of the other ducks look like that. The next day was sunny and fine, and the mother duck <clears throat> went down to the lake with her family. Splash, into the water she sprang. Quack, quack, she said, and one duckling after another plumped into the water after her. They floated beautifully. Even the big, ugly gray one swam about with them. Then they went back to the duckyard. The other ducks stared at them and said, There, look, there's another tribe. And how ugly that duckling is. We won't stand for him. And one duck flew at him and bit him on the neck. But the poor, ugly duckling was made fun of by all the other ducks. And by the chickens, too. He's so big and ugly, they said. And the ducks bit him. And the hens pecked him. Even his brothers and sisters were unkind to him. He did not know what to do or where to go. He ran through the hedge and the birds in the bushes and flew away. They are afraid of me because I am so ugly, he thought, and ran on. At last he came to a broad marsh where the wild ducks lived, and there he lay the whole night, too weary to move. Soon he found some water to swim in and dive in, but he was slighted by every living creature because of his ugliness. Now autumn came. The leaves in the wood turned yellow and brown. One evening, when the sun was just setting, a flock of beautiful large birds appeared out of the bushes. The ugly duckling had never seen anything so beautiful. They were dazzling white with long, curving necks. They were swans. The duckling felt drawn to them, though he did not know why. Then, uttering a strange cry, the swans spread their broad white wings and flew away to warmer lands for the winter. It would be too sad to tell about all the misery the ugly duckling had to bear during the hard winter. But at last the sun began to shine warmly again. It found the duckling in the marsh among the rushes. Then, all at once, he raised his wings, and they flapped with much greater strength than ever before, and they bore him off. Before he knew it, he found himself in a large garden. Just in front of him were three beautiful swans. The duckling recognized them, and he was filled with a strange sadness. I will fly to them. And so he flew 
into the water and swam toward the stately swans. But as he did, what did he see reflected in the clear water? He saw below him his own image, but, and that he was no longer a clumsy, dark, gray bird, ugly and ungainly. He was a swan. The big swans swam round and round him and stroked him with their bills. Some little children came into the garden, and the smallest one cried out, There is a new one! And the other children shouted with joy, Yes, a new swan has come! And one of them, and then they all said, The new one is the prettiest of them all. The new swan felt very happy. He thought of how he had been pursued and scorned. And now he heard all of them say that he was the most beautiful of all the birds. He rustled his feathers and said, I never dreamed there could be so much happiness when I thought I was the ugly duckling. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. So now Robin's going to play as we do our opening treatment. So if you'll just take a deep breath, close your eyes if that feels comfortable. And allow yourself to be fully present in the here and the now. And join with me as I say these words in the first person, taking them as your own. I know deep in my heart that there is one, only one. It is a magnificent presence of love and devotion. It is a presence that makes manifest in, as, and through everything, seen and unseen. It is the joy in my heart. It is the way I know that I truly am the beautiful swan, just awaiting my recognition of that truth. And so in this moment, I allow myself to connect with my spiritual magnificence, with the truth of my being. I know that all of the qualities of the divine are already within me, awaiting my claim and recognition of them. And so I claim them now. I claim that I am awake. I am aware. I know who and whose I am. I have everything within me now and always to take that next step on my path of unfoldment. And I trust, I trust the divine unfoldment. I give my hand to the divine dance and allow myself to flow in this orchestration so beautifully done by the one that loves fully and freely, has complete acceptance of all of who I am. So I know that in this moment, I am awake to the message that I'm about to hear. I know that everything that my soul is yearning for is already available, and I hear the message that inspires me, that catapults me into that next level of consciousness that allows me to truly live my highest soul's mission and to be the heart and the hands of the divine in love on this planet. 
So I know that having set this intention, everything necessary rushes in. The people, places, and experiences all align so beautifully to support me in this authentic mission to live to my highest soul's purpose. I know that great gratitude fills me to overflowing, and I live in that overflow of joy. I know that it is already done in the mind of the one, and so speaking my word has activated that law so completely that it is inevitable. The manifestation is done now. So with a grateful heart, I release these words, knowing that it is already so, and together we say, and so it is. So you're in for a special treat today. We have a guest speaker, success psychologist, Gantz Ferentz, PhD, and many of you know him as Dr. Gantz. He has a personal mission of helping people to live bigger and to give bigger. He has been helping people make more money, have better sex, and live longer lives since 1991. He provides consultation, education, coaching, and therapy to tens of thousands of people across Canada and internationally. He prides himself in being tweed-free, providing you with cutting-edge information and giving you the straight goods about who you are and your situation. No psychobabble, no victim-making, theorizing, or intellectual double-talk. His easygoing, friendly, and humorous style quickly makes you feel at home and deeply engaged. He's often quoted in the media, and after hearing him, you will know why. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Gantz. How many of you uh, heard me speak last time I was here? Okay, so how many of you never heard me speak before? Thank you. Okay, well, thank you for all being here. Those of you who have heard me speak before, do I ever do this by myself? No. <laughs> I need to have all of you participate in order for us to create something together that's going to work for all of us. Is that okay? Okay. So here's how it's going to work. <laughs> if I ask a question, I actually want an answer. Is that okay? Okay, let's try again. So if I ask a question, I actually want an answer out loud. Is that okay? Yes. Excellent. Thank you. So first of all, I want to thank you all for being here and investing this time to be here with me today. And I want to thank the center for having me back again. So uh, thank you so much for being here. How many of you have ever felt like the ugly duckling in some part of your lives? Yeah. How many of you like to feel like the swan, though? <laughs> See, only a quarter of you like to feel like the swan. How many people really want to feel like the swan? Okay, there you go. Thank you. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, nature and natural laws, and we're going to talk about a few of the natural laws that kind of support us and, and how, to make the, help, how to work with the natural laws so we have the best experience we can, okay? So what are some natural laws that, uh, that we know about? Gravity. Everybody always comes up with gravity. I love gravity. <laughs> so, so gravity is a natural law, and gravity existed even before Newton patented it, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> What else? What are, what are some other natural laws that are there? Taxes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is a natural law, I guess. <laughs> Although, the Bahamas, anyway. Um, what else? I'm sorry? Attraction. We know the law of attraction. That's kind of what we're about here, right? 
Yeah, so how does the law of attraction work? Like attracts like. So if I'm in a positive state, I'm more likely to attract more positive things. Is that right? Yeah, okay. So do you know there's a part of the brain called the reticular activating system? How many people have heard of that before? Okay, and how many of you guys were at the first service? Okay, no, okay, just kidding. Okay, so yeah, the reticular activating system is a part of our brain, and it's like a bloodhound. And whatever we, whatever we charge it with, whatever we say, okay, go fetch, it's going to go and fetch for us, okay? So this has happened to me lots of times, and you know, you're looking for a new car or whatever it is, and you say, okay, I want a, a blue four-door sedan. And what do you see after you leave the car lot? What do you see all around you? Blue four-door sedans, right? So your brain is naturally working, and even when you no, don't know, even if you are not paying attention to it, that's happening. So one of the natural laws is there's, there's a, a law of um, repetition, okay? So that law basically states that whatever we do over and over again, we create, we, actually, it becomes easier and easier for us. It becomes more natural for us all the time. So last time I was up here, um, I gave you guys three phrases to remember. I'm going to just talk about one of them. One of them was, it is my right and my responsibility to live a big life. How many people remember that one? Okay. So we're going to try, we're going to engage the law of repetition right now and repeat that. Okay, so repeat after me, please. It is my right and my responsibility to live a big life. Okay, let's say that again. It is my right and my responsibility to live a big life. One more time. Excellent. Tell the neighbor on either side of you now, please. Excellent, thank you. So we just did something. What we just did was we seeded our subconscious. Okay, we planted some seeds in our subconscious that you know what? It's okay for me to live big. Uh, One of my things that I'm all about is I I like to say, "Live bigger, give bigger." How many people would like to live? Would like to give bigger? Okay, woo! I like that. (laughs) So. So yeah, you have to live bigger in order to give bigger. The bigger you live, the bigger you can give. Okay? Now, here's the other side of this repetition thing. How many of us know that we, or maybe have heard, that uh, we maybe have some unconscious unconscious thoughts from time to time? (laughs) Okay. Only time to time. Uh, Actually, what we've found is that probably 96% of the thoughts we have are unconscious. We actually, most of our lives are unconscious for the average person, okay? We get into a repetition. So we ask ourselves questions, we tell ourselves certain things, and we do so unconsciously. But now we also know the law of attraction and also the reticular activating system, what are we doing? We're seeding our subconscious with some stuff that's not always that helpful to us, okay? So this is one of those things. Now you have one tool that you can consciously seed your subconscious with to help you live bigger so you can give bigger, yes? Yes, thank you for answering. Okay, so that's, that's one, of, one of the laws. Another one of the laws, and um, well, how many people understand what paradox is? How many, you know, they asked me to define it this morning, I couldn't define it. But some, some of us know what it is. So, so what is paradox? Catch 22. Catch 22, what else? Conundrum, sort of, like, sort of like a, uh, like a uh, yeah, kind of a, like a puzzle kind of thing. 
But there's a law of paradox, or what I call the, the paradox principle. And it basically states that whatever we think we need to do to get a certain, uh, certain thing accomplished, we actually need to do the opposite. Okay? So yeah, so let go. So one example of this is the harder you try, the worse you do. Anybody ever experienced that? <laughs> okay. It doesn't make sense because you figure you try harder, you'd, you'd get better results. But the truth is, if you try too hard, you mess up. How many people have ever had stage fright? I'm having a little stage fright right now, actually. So, um, but yeah, but that, that's, that's what it is. If you try too hard, sometimes you, you, you're, you're just overtaken by anxiety. There's something in the medical community called a purpose tremor. So if I'm walking, let's say I'm walking from here, I'm going to walk over to that, that plant over there. So I walk over here. Pretty good, right? I'm doing okay? Well, encourage me then, right? Okay. Thank you. Okay. So, so I did that, right? That's not a problem. So now what happens if I, like I probably, my steps probably were within about one foot of each other. Is that correct? Okay. What if I take that path, and instead of just walking from here to there, I put it on a 50-story building, and now I'm asked to walk across. What happens? Ooh, did you hear it? Ooh, right? It's the same path. I've done it over and over. But because my anxiety is there, my state is different. And so I, I'm much more likely to fall and stumble, yes? Yeah. So that's one of those paradoxical things. The, the harder we try, the less well we do. So, the way to overcome that is to sort of release yourself to that. Release yourself to the reality of, you know what, I'm scared, but that's okay, I'm going to do this anyway. Okay? Feel your anxiety, feel your fear, feel whatever it is you're experiencing in the moment, and then just do what you need to do. Here's another place the paradox shows up. How many of us have ever tried to change someone we love? Be honest. Okay. How does that work? Not very well. Was it frustrating for you? Could it have likely been frustrating for the person you love? Right. Okay. What I've found over and over again in working one-on-one -on -one is that when you try to do that, it's, it, people push against us. Okay. And the more you push or the more you have something to push against, the more they, they push harder and harder every time. Okay? So, the law of paradox, if you engage that, says if you actually try to, or not try, but actually accept the good, the bad, the ugly about someone else, you then create an environment of love and acceptance. Is that right? right. You're actually creating the environment that they can change in. Isn't that, isn't that strange? Right. You create an environment of acceptance and love, all of a sudden, there's nothing to push against, and they can actually change if they want to. We're not trying to change them. We're not trying to manipulate them into doing this, but it creates the environment where they can change. So this works great with teenagers, by the way, guys. Okay? Uh, works great with spouses, too, I'm told. <laughs> My wife just used it on me. Um, <laughs> so uh, so that's, that, that's another place the paradox shows up. Okay? Another place, and this is, this is sort of my personal issue. Um, how many people... Well, how many people want to be normal? Uh, a couple of you, all right. Well, we'll talk later. Um, the other law is there is no normal. I got a real issue with the word normal. What is normal? What's the definition of normal? What yardstick, what yardstick you're measuring it by? It depends on that. Somebody in the first service said it's the setting on the dryer, right? <laughs> um, 
the, the truth of it is, normal is a statistical concept that you take everybody, you lump them together, and you divide by the number of people, and you come up with some average. Okay? There is no one person that's normal. You're not supposed to be normal. You're supposed to be weird. Okay? <laughs> When, when my clients come and we, they say, oh man, Gans, I, I'm just feeling, I'm feeling really weird. I say, congratulations, way to go. It's like, me too. You're supposed to be weird. How many normal people have ever been leaders? Zero, that's right. You cannot be a leader if you're normal. The more you're a leader, the further away you get from the herd. Okay? We are all unique beings, every single one of us, and we're supposed to be unique beings. Even the people who are trying to be normal, we, we heard the story of the swan. How good was fitting in working for the swan? It wasn't working very well when he thought he was a duck, right? As soon as he figured out he was a swan, he felt really, really good. So that's what it is. We all have within us uniqueness that's important to be expressed. It's extremely important to be expressed. When Michael Beckwith was here, he talked about uh, a couple other laws. One was the law of involution, the law of evolution. The law of involution means that in, the, in the, the seed is contained everything the tree needs to be a tree. The tree doesn't have to be a tree. The tree doesn't have to try to grow. Although somebody challenged me on that in the morning service. They said, how do we know? Right? <laughs> I guess we don't. So every, in, inside of us is the seed for everything we need to be. Inside the swan was his swanness, even though he didn't know it. And all it took was a little bit of time, a little bit of evolution for him to recognize and realize his potential. The same thing is true of us. We have within us the seeds of who we need to be, and it's just, a part of just taking time to evolve. So here's something I want us to say. Okay, I'm going to say it, and then you repeat after me. I am perfection in evolution. One more time. I am perfection in evolution. Once again. Excellent. Tell your partners, please. So, the whole idea is to live bigger and give bigger, right? If you can live bigger, well, if you, if we are expressions of God. Who agrees with me? Okay. So, if that's true, then by being our natural selves, by letting our fullness be expressed, what are we expressing? We're expressing God, absolutely. If we play small, if we try to hide, if we try to be overly um, humble, what are we doing? We're muting God, we're squelching him, right? Turning him down. We don't want to do that, or turning it down, sorry. <laughs> we don't want to do that. We want to be full expressions of God, yes? Okay. So here's something else we're going to seed our subconscious with. I am a vital expression of the divine. The world would not be the same without me in it. One more time. I am a vital expression of the divine. The world would not be the same without me in it. One more time, please. I am a vital expression of the divine. The world would not be the same without me in it. 
Okay, now I want you to say it with passion to your neighbors, please. Excellent. Thank you. How do you feel right now? Would you like to feel more of this? Yeah. So this is how this works. You seed your subconscious. You, t- you tell it what to think. You tell your bloodhound what to go fetch, and it'll go fetch it for you. So continue to seed your subconscious. All right. Um, my partner Tamara and I are going to talk a little bit about how, you know, it's a little bit more of the practicality of this this afternoon in the workshop and, and, and you know, how to make sure this feeling kind of continues on because this is what is going to help you to make your biggest contribution. Yes? yes. Yeah. When you're in this state, what are you attracting? <coughs> like. So more of this stuff, right? More feeling good, more feeling happy, more feeling powerful and strong. Yes? yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> So to, to wrap up, I want to tell you one story just to kind of anchor some of this stuff, okay? This is uh, the story of a young man. He was about 14, 15, and he was just sort of, um, you know, he was at that stage where he was developing his identity. You know how teenagers are, right? They have this kind of strange hair. They dress weird and stuff, always trying to express themselves. So he was just tr- starting to express himself, and unfortunately, he, was, he, um, he had a car accident, and he actually lost his right arm. And so that devastated him. He was, having, he was you know, in depression for a long, long time. His parents didn't know what to do. They were beside themselves trying to help this young man to kind of develop himself and figure out who he is and have some self-esteem, some, a good self-image. And they, they heard about um, uh, some martial arts, uh, and they figured martial arts would be good. So they went and found a judo instructor. And they said, Sensei, will you please train our son in judo? And Sensei kind of looked at him and studied him for a while and looked, and the young man was just kind of holding his head down. You know, he was missing his arm. He tried to hide it and stuff like that. And um, the Sensei said, yes, I know exactly what to do. So he, he started working with the young man. And he trained him and trained him. and said, I'll, I'll train you one move. If you learn this one move, you will be unstoppable. And the young man, of course, didn't believe him. He says, oh, well, I'm not going to be able to do this. I got one arm. It's not going to work, right? And so... He went to work anyway because his parents paid the money and made him go, right? They forced him. And so he was there, and he worked with the sensei over and over, over, working this one move, one move, over and over. And eventually, after a couple months, sensei entered him into a little tournament. And so he went, and he started in the white belt division, and he, he won his division. And then he went on to the next division, and he won that. And he ended up winning the whole tournament. He was kind of shocked. But he said, okay, maybe it's a fluke, whatever. He entered another tournament, and he kept winning, and he kept winning, and he kept winning. And, you know, after a while, he was like, he was winning all these big tournaments. And finally, he went to the sensei and said, Sensei, <laughs> what's going on? How come I'm winning all these tournaments? And I'm not, I've only been working with you for a couple months, and, I'm, and on top of that, I'm missing my right arm. How is this possible? Well, the sensei said, the move that I have taught you, grasshopper, is, <laughs> um, <laughs> is it, it, there's only one known defense for this move. The only known defense for this move is to grab your opponent's right arm. When we fully express who we are, we can do amazing things. That's my time. Thank you.